This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, the show about the most interesting stories and people in Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm editor-at-large and cartoonist at Mississippi Today. And we got a great guest today. He's been on the show before. He's a friend of the show, I guess you could say. It's Dr. Robert Luckett. He's professor of history and director of the Margaret Walker Center. And we're going to talk with him about the 16th Annual Creative Arts in Scholarly Engagement Festival and how you can get involved. And we're also going to welcome Dr. Luckett in just a second. But I tell you what, we got a lot to catch up with, a busy weekend. I hope you had a good weekend, and thank you for being here today. But I tell you what, I am 54 years old, and I have never seen as good a weekend of NFL football Ever is what we had this weekend, and I know Michelle didn't get to see it because she worked all weekend, of course, as always. Yeah, and she would. Okay, folks, she was just literally telling me everything that happened to her on her job over the weekend, and uh, I need to go take a nap, um, <laughs> definitely. But well, it's a pandemic. It's I, a I pandemic, work, exactly. Uh, in mental health, yes, and uh, it is. It's amazing, but you know I'm not. So, how's your mental health? (laughs) Yes, you know when you work in mental health as a counselor, you have to you assess your mental health every time you leave your job. (laughs) You're like, am I okay? Yeah, it is a lot to take on. Um, I don't know. I know a lot of counselors and psychologists and doctors even are listening right now. We take I. I, It's a way you're not supposed to do it. I know Dr. Luckett probably can talk about this as well. We take, I take it home. You know, every yeah, case I talk to, to yeah. every child I talk to, every adult I talk to, I'm thinking about them as I drive away from um, the center. And it's challenging to compartmentalize, uh, department, <laughs> put those people in, compart- you know, different places in my um mind. I engage with a lot of people throughout the day, whether it's on social media or mm-hmm. when I'm out and about, like this weekend, I got to speak, go speak to some Troop 15 Eagle Scouts mm-hmm. who've gotten the, the highest honors you can get in Scouts. Oh. They were amazing. But you know the thing I've really noticed, it's like we've all lost something mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. I mean, everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. whether it's a friend or a loved one because of the disease or a job or some income or the chance to be able to go hang out with friends or to be able to go have a nice meal. And it's just so fascinating hearing the stories. And people are really just wound tight and, and upset, and they can't quite put their finger on It's almost like when you have an engine and you pull one of the plug wires off, the mm-hmm. car starts backfiring. Or it sputters. Yeah, it sputters. It does, it right. get it's not quite, power. It's not quite running wrong. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just kind of sense that. And I know mm-hmm. in your job, you're seeing that every day. And you would have seen it probably before the pandemic. But, you know, for— The pandemic— it's more though. It but is. it is more. It is, it is more. yeah. It is, and it is it's more. and people just can't put their finger on it. What's and it's, wrong? And it, mm-hmm. you know, and I even caught myself getting caught up with this. You know, and of course, I had the back surgery last year, which you know, I'd be glad to tell you for two hours about it, but I won't do that to you. But it made my world really small, and it's amazing how that messes with your head. So you're seeing all this. You know, the pandemic made the world small for all of us, right? Because you know, there for a while we had to be kind of trapped. You know, and I know you know the whole lockdown thing was kind of not loosely enforced and everything but still we we couldn't do things i mean kids couldn't you know go to graduation right. or they couldn't go to everything games cha- or, everything, everything changed. changed right and right. you know you um dr butchers and i talk about on tuesdays about control and the pandemic taught a lot of people that you don't have control or the con- amount of control you think you have over situations yeah. and you talked about your surgery surgery for me my surgery last year 
um, showed me that I don't have control, control over things. And going under anesthesia was something that I had only done once in my life. And this time, this particular time, I had to do it twice. And the second one was, of course, wasn't um, scheduled. So it really made me think about life in a different way and how precious it is and time and everything and how when you go under you're that close to death. And they I know always mess with you on that, though. They're always like, we're going to give you something to make you comfortable. Calm. And then, boom, you wake up like four hours later. Like, and it's what over. Happened? It's over. Yeah. I woke up the second surgery. I woke up and said, um, when is my doctor coming in? And the lady said, baby, it's, yeah, it's you're done. done. <laughs> you're done. And I felt like, what? Like in a time warp. Yeah. So it, it, that was a weird thing But you're thing right about me. the control thing. And I think that's something that... And, and you, you, you've got an 18 year old. I've got, you know, a 19 and a 21 year old. And obviously, you know, when you're a parent, you know, you control your child's life for so long. <laughs> and then suddenly they become little mini adults. And suddenly, you know, they're fighting you for that control for obvious reasons. I've got two that are off at college right now. And, you know, if I get them to text me back, I feel like that's a good day, you know, because they're yeah. busy, but they got their lives. And so when they come home, you know, it's like, I mean, Amy and I don't even try to put like tough Rules. regulations mm-hmm. on them because, I mean, number one, they're good kids. We know for the most part they're going to do the right thing. But also, too, you know, they're just going to, I mean, they're like, I'm, my son's 21 years old, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's a, he's a grown up. He, you have to think about it. And I it can't was just so, tell you what to do. Right. Like over Christmas, he was home because this is his last semester in college, right? Mm-hmm. So he was home for like two weeks. And then I realized, He's not going to ever be home that long again because he's got a job offer on the table. He'll probably have a job right after school and he'll be off on his own. So it's, yeah, that's, I think the whole learning how to let go of control for me has been really hard Hmm. and very uncomfortable. And, you know, the surgery thing was definitely one of those things, too, because I went from running marathons to suddenly not being able to get out of the chair without my wife's help. And that was very humbling also. Very humbling. And we're, since we're talking about children and control yeah. and parenting, uh, let's segue into Regina King's son. Such he, a heartbreaking story. Uh, committed suicide yeah. on Saturday. So I work overnight and I get off work in the morning. So I got off at 7 a.m. Yeah. And first thing, you know, over my phone is Regina King's son dies suicide. And being a mother... And being a mother in media, right. number one, and a career-driven person. I, you know, got my master's degree. Been in school a lot. Been in school. My daughter is 18, just turned 18 This October. is the guilt section of exactly. the program. Exactly. You know. Sometimes you feel like... And oh, I, you do. I'm right there with you. Right. You turn on the radio and Cats in the Cradle is on. Every, I don't know if you know that song or not, but it's the ultimate guilt parent song ever. And you just feel like, have I done enough? But, but you know, I've got a couple of good friends who lost children. One lost child, I guess, over Christmas. Oh, this past Christmas? This past Christmas. They're devastated. Just completely devastated. And with suicide, we talked about it off air. As a parent, you wonder, what could I have done? Did I not see the signs? Could I have prevented this? Did I talk to him enough? Um, Could I have done anything? And and I can just... Well, how about this? I can't imagine what Regina King is feeling right now. Because... I know how I feel about my daughter and um, losing a child, especially in that way. There's so many things you think about. You just hang on to your and you almost hang on to them too tight because you're so terrified because you start hearing these stories and you're just like, oh, my gosh. And and it was hard. It's hard, too. When they move out of the house Mm -hmm. and once again, the control thing, Mm -hmm. they could get in a car wreck. You're always afraid when the phone rings late at night. You know, it's just it's just a weird feeling. So, you know, for me to get past that is you just try to love them as much as you can when you're around them. And, you know, you just send them random texts and then, you know, just call them up out of the blue. 
and just try to to be part of their lives as much as you can because I, I hope, you never know. I hope uh, Regina know. King is holding on to those memories. I do too. Uh, the love that she has for him. So I think it's going to save her. Exactly. And our prayers are going out to her and her family right now. Yeah. And Louie Anderson um, passed. Oh, Louie Anderson did, and you know, Meatloaf passed away, and you know, Bob Saget and Betty White, and, and I mean. It's like, and it's been tough. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, going back to how everybody's kind of just kind of walking around like in a stupor, it's this parade of, you know, things that pop up on your phone that say so-and-so has died. But I have and a good note. Look, look, we've been talking oh, about we, we sad got, things. I like this. Well, the and NFL, talk, uh, okay. Oh, the, the NFL's NFL, NFL games all well, weekend were really thing, good. Uh, I have a good thing to talk about. Um, Born Funny, our own Sharita Brent, called Rita B now, the comedian Rita B. Is what did Rita a, Brent do? Uh, she's having a 20, 35th um, birthday celebration, and she's going to be here in Mississippi. And actually, Jackson, 108 President Street, and this is a one-time show, January 29th. Uh, I mean, if you have not seen uh, Sharita live on stage, we need you to get have her back to. on the show again. Uh, she's doing a pop up yeah. comedy show. Uh, again, that's January 29th at 108 President Street. If you have not seen her comedy act, and she has some new material, I've been following her. It is hilarious. She's going to be um, here in Jackson on the 29th. Go see that. So for longtime listeners of the show, you know that uh, Sharita was, of course, the producer before Michelle. And, you know, for many, many, many Mondays, we would talk about her career and her dreams and everything she was hoping to do. And she was so methodical about it. She planned it out. She knew exactly. She made sure that boat was close enough to the dock before she jumped. And I've just been so incredibly proud of her. I mean, I mean, I've I've talked to her two or three times, you know, interviewed wise. But I mean, I, I kind of text and keep up with her and everything. And she's just making. And it's so funny because everybody always has in their head that they're going to have this one big break before they become famous. But that's not really working that way for her. She's having a series of big breaks because she's doing the work and she's prepared. She's resilient. I mean, she's optimistic. She's a pro. She just gets out there every day and puts it out there. So she's had, you know, she's been working with Travis Smiley for a long time and really developed a great friendship, which has helped too. But uh, really, Ricky, I'm just proud Ricky, of Ricky. Uh, Ricky. What yeah, I say, Travis. Ricky, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, it's Ricky Smiley. It's yeah. right. Ricky Smiley, so, Cedric the Entertainer. She's yeah. a writer for yeah. um, Thank you. Uh, Charlemagne the God. And and also, uh, she did the Emmy. She was uh, wrote. Oh, she did the- Kevin Hart's show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wrote on the Emmys. It was neat seeing her name pop up on that. And-, and so, like you said, a series of events that are leading up. And she, I mean, her name is out there. And just living her dream. And not, I don't know. We do need to get her on the show because I would like to ask her about uh, what's her mission and goal. Is it to be famous or is it just living your dream, live doing what you wanted to do? And that's what she's doing. So, is that enough? What's what do you want? What what's your ultimate? Well, I think the goal? lesson that the people can learn from her is that it's great to have a dream, but you have to, and, and the hard work's important also too, mm-hmm. but she has a plan and she's done the left brain work to go along with the right brain work. And that's so hard when you're a creative person, but she has managed to pull that off. Like I mentioned too, uh, if you did get to watch one of the football games over the weekend, Oh my gosh, that was just incredible. Probably the best football I have watched in the 54 years that I can remember. But then again, I can't remember my car keys are, so that doesn't really matter. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We've got a great guest coming up. We've got Dr. Robert Luckett. He's professor of history at Jackson State University and director of the Margaret Walker Center. And he recently had a birthday, too, but we're going to talk about that, too, as well. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
Hey, this is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening now. You're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. In 1976, Margaret Walker wrote the wrote to the National Endowment of for the Humanities for a proposal for an education conference on Africa and African affairs. In honor of their founder, the Margaret Walker Center will hold their 16th annual Creative Arts and Scholarly Engagement Festival. Here today to tell us a little bit more about that festival is friend of the show, Dr. Robert Luckett, professor of history and director of the Margaret Walker Center. Uh, Robert, I, I got to tell you, um, or Dr. Luckett, we might as well, since you got a promotion, we'll just throw that out there a little bit. We can go by first names. Oh, okay. Okay, very good. You, you just want to, I wanted to let you know what we talk about when we're not on the air here, that we were just talking about cake for the whole time. And <laughs> and I do realize you probably have some cake sitting around because you just had a birthday. Happy birthday. I love the picture that your mother posted on her Facebook page. Um, trust her. Yeah, I know what you shouldn't. I mean, that's what mothers do. You know, they embarrass you, but exactly. but because they love you. But yeah. I, I, since radio is not a visual medium, I'm going to describe the picture of you as a baby. Thanks. Um, it looked just like you now, just without the glasses and the beard. I mean, your hair is exactly the same. I don't know how you pulled born, that off. Born fully formed into the world, Marshall. You really were. You were like a little little Benjamin Buttons man. It was pretty impressive on that. Um, I've always said you're an old soul, uh, but you're a good soul. And, you know, I mentioned you got the promotion. You're now a full professor, correct? That is correct. Yeah, I was excited. Does that get you, like, discounts when you go out to eat and stuff like that? I, I wish, uh, you know, uh, it, the one thing it does get me, I do have tenure, so they can't fire me from Jackson State now, so I've got that going for me. Look at you. I have never had tenure <laughs> anything in my life except when I was a custodian, so I am, like, totally envious, and, and but I'm very happy for you, too. But why would they fire you anyway? You do great work. <laughs> I appreciate that. See, there you go. But, yeah, anyway, you 45 trips around the sun, congrats. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. I really do. Yeah. So, um well, just let's talk about you for a half second and kind of introduce you to people that are just new to the show. Maybe and they haven't really heard about the cool things you've done. You got your B.A. in political um, political science and a Ph.D. Right. From, yeah, at Yale. And then you got your Ph.D. at the University of Georgia on uh, fo- focusing on modern civil rights movement history. Yeah, uh, indeed. Um, and uh, originally from Mississippi and came back uh, 13 years ago to take a job at Jackson State. Yeah, and your your folks pretty much amazing. Your mom for years has been very active and involved in the community here. So you kind of grew up, and you really didn't have a chance not to be involved in the community. <laughs> yeah, uh, and in fact, I tell people all the time. I think I got the job at Jackson State in part due to the good reputation of my parents. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I, I'm about to say they they are fine folks, and I know they're proud of you. But I mean, it's not like you could go off and go work a desk job somewhere. You were you're going to have to do what you did. Yeah, no, and I, 
I'm, I'm lucky that I get to do something that I'm passionate about and that I care deeply about. So it's been good to be back home for the last decade plus. Yeah, it's hard to believe. What, 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 I'm trying to, in my head, was it 2009? I'm trying to think yeah. when you got here. Wow. 2009, I, I came back, and so I'm in the middle of year 13 at Jackson State. I was gone for almost 15 years, but... You know, it was it was really wonderful to you know be able to be back home, be able to raise my kids here, have my mom around, uh, in good health, and you know it's I'm not going anywhere. Like I said, I've got tenure, so I plan on be, being here for a while longer. Yeah, definitely on that. You know, let's talk about just for two seconds the whole brain drain thing because you know it seems like a lot of people leave Mississippi uh, when they get out of college. And did you ever have that sensation or at least that feeling that you're like, ah, I'm not coming back, I'm done? Or did you always think you might come back because this was where you needed to be? Well, look, I, I tell people all the time that when I left Mississippi, I didn't go to Yale because I was leaving Mississippi. I went to Yale because I got to go to Yale. I got to go there. Good point. <laughs> I had the opportunity to to do that, and there was always something in the back of my mind that was kind of drawing me back home, drawing me to Mississippi, kind of felt like I would be back here. I don't begrudge anyone who goes for opportunities to to seek things that can improve their lives, and there's no doubt going to Yale was one of the best decisions I've ever made because it was a, a mentor of mine there who convinced me to go to grad school and not become a lawyer. And if I hadn't have done that, I never would have gotten a degree in history and ended up teaching at Jackson State. So there you go. What what made you interested in civil rights history? My folks, for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, my mother in particular, getting involved in activist circles in the mid to late 60s and just kind of being raised in those types of circles with a different kind of uh, consciousness than other folks of kind of my demographic from Mississippi, white men uh, from Rankin County. Uh, and so I just, you know, I was just raised in that type of circle. And when I got to college, I started taking courses in, in civil rights history, African-American history, African-American studies. And like I said, I had a very good mentor who pointed me in the direction of grad school and ended up going that route and getting a, a Ph.D. in civil rights history from the University of Georgia. And, and here I am. So, you know, it's the long story. You're just you're formed by how you're raised and who you're around. And it's absolutely as much nurture as it is nature. Well, I got to figure it's kind of like me in political cartooning. If you're into modern uh, civil rights history, there probably isn't a better place to be than Mississippi. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it's kind of like being in Mecca for civil rights historians. This is ground zero. Uh, and, you know, we still have really incredible activists around today uh, who were here doing this work in the 50s and 60s and folks who come back in a new generation of activists. So it really is a rich and rewarding place to be able to do this kind of work. I know. I was just thinking the that generation is almost like the World War II generation in the sense that they're starting to fade away and, and the oral histories are so important. It's so glad that we've got that resource now. And I know that's a big part of what you're doing. Yeah, we certainly do that. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. That generation of, of civil rights activists and civil rights veterans, they're reaching a certain age where we're starting to lose them, unfortunately, like the great Bob Moses who passed away yeah. in August. Um, but 
Um, we are, through the Margaret Walker Center, uh, always actively trying to preserve and collect these stories and these histories and make sure that future generations will have access uh, to that, that knowledge and, and, and gain from, from those voices. And we are lucky that so many of them are still around right now. and We've got a, a, a chance to do that kind of work and preserve their history. Uh, we have the smartest audience in the radio, I believe, but we have some new listeners as well. Tell us a little bit about Margaret Walker and the, uh, the Margaret Walker Center and how that got formed and what some of your mission is. Yeah, we are the direct legacy of Margaret Walker. Uh, she taught at Jackson State from 1949 to 1979. When she got here, she was already a world-renowned poet. She had published her great book, For My People, and the, and the poem by the same name. Uh, she uh, was uh, a scholar, a, a writer, a novelist. She would publish Jubilee, her great Civil War-era novel, um, in 1966 while teaching uh, at Jackson State. And two years later, in 1968, she founded the Institute for the Study of the History, Life, and Culture of Black People. You know, we, you think about uh, college degree-granting programs like African American Studies or Black Studies. Those are all products of the Civil Rights Movement. They're products of activists saying, hey, we want to study black history and culture. And Margaret Walker founded one of the very first ones in the country here at Jackson State. I often tell people San Francisco State is usually credited with having the first black studies program in 1968. Margaret Walker was doing the same thing in Jackson, Mississippi, and that was a little bit of a different environment in 68 than San Francisco was. Um, and so we're proud of that legacy, proud to continue to do that work as a black studies research center, archive, and museum. And, you know, proud to be, be her, uh, we call it her activist, artistic, and academic legacy. You know, she initiated uh, the first conference on the topic of black studies as well. And I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal. That was at Jackson State. Tell us a little bit about the first conferences and what were the topics and some of the speakers that they had. Yeah, very early on, she used the platform of her uh, Black Studies Institute to host some of the very first national academic conferences on the topic of black studies. One of the very first ones was in 1971, the National Viative Conference on Black Studies had um, just really incredible uh, scholars. The sociologist St. Clair Drake, who had done this landmark study of Chicago called Black Metropolis, was the keynote speaker for it. In 1973, she hosts the Phyllis Wheatley Poetry Festival, which was this iconic festival with all these black female writers, some of the leading um, women writers in the world, who came to celebrate the bicentennial of Phyllis Wheatley's book of poetry, poems on various subjects, religious and moral. And then it included Alice Walker and Sonia Sanchez and Nikki Giovanni and Charlene Hunter Galt and this whole host of just really incredible black women intellectuals uh, and writers. And, and, and she just she she was continuously engaging this intellectual world of of blackness and black studies and was was at the forefront of, of doing this work in the black studies movement. You know, when I moved here, had Willie Morris lived here, Adora Welty, and then she lived here. And the yeah. thing, she and Willie reminded me of each other in this sense and the fact that they were kind of like, they had this gravitational pull where they could pull incredibly talented and famous people to Mississippi and we're all better for it. Yeah, absolutely. I look at some of the pictures that we have in our collections and, and she brought Langston Hughes to campus and oh, she wow. brought Alex Haley to campus and she brought James Baldwin to campus and she brought Alice Walker to campus and, and, and like you look at just the, the people who gravitated to her for those very reasons and who came here to support her work and it is just 
a remarkable uh, group of, of folks, um, and like I said, we're proud to be that that legacy here. Well, and it's that legacy that you're you're obviously honoring and trying to live up to. When you became the director of the Margaret Walker Center, I know that was a big goal of yours was to replicate the kind of conferences. Tell us a little bit about that journey, because I know there were some conferences that were already going on and so forth. When you came in, what were your ultimate goals to have to to help draw people to the campus? Well, I'm only the third director of the center. It was wow. Margaret Walker who founded this. It was Dr. Alfredine Harrison, who was director for 30 years, and then me, right? And so I'm stepping into the shoes of these two incredible black women who led this place and made sure that we were institutionalized in a way that, that the Margaret Walker Center was never going to go anywhere. Right. And when, Mar- when Margaret Walker retired in 1979, we then became named for her, and so continuing that work as a black study center. So I was looking at my predecessors, looking at the work that they did, and thinking about ways that we could replicate some of the things that they were trying to do. And and as we've already mentioned, one of the things Margaret was really known for was hosting some of these remarkable conferences and bringing these incredible intellectuals to campus. And so pretty early on in my career as director, we sat down and had a five-year strategic planning charrette, right, where we took kind of shareholders in the, in the center, our board members and faculty, and a whole bunch of scholars and writers, we spent a weekend thinking about, well, what is our work going to look like in, in the future? And we decided then that one of the things we want to do is try to, to replicate the types of conferences that she had on campus. But at the same time, one thing that was really important to us, of course, I'm, I'm a professor at Jackson State in addition to being a director of the center. Um, and as such, and, and as a part of Jackson State, our number one community is our students, right? That's who we serve are Jackson State students. And so we wanted to do these conferences, but we also wanted to make sure they were student-centric. And and Margaret was always very intentional about mentoring students. And she loved being a teacher, and she was really known as, as an incredible teacher. And, in fact, her students will tell you just what an amazing uh, mentor she was, how tough she was, which I also point out to my students when they complain about me being hard. <laughs> I'm like, you should have taken Margaret Walker's class. Um but uh, we wanted to replicate that, and we wanted to make students um, central to that work. And so the idea came to us, well, let's invite some of these people who were in Margaret's world, these great artists, writers, intellectuals. They can come to, co- to, to, to campus, and we'll have this conference. But then we're going to invite students to present their creative and scholarly works, and we're going to really highlight their efforts. We'll have a keynote speaker. We'll have these people who can come and, 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 and talk to our students and engage them in the world of, of the work that they do. Um, but what we're really going to do also is, is lift up young people, um, not just Jackson State students, all students, any student who's interested in participating and celebrate their work and creativity uh, and intellectualism. It's time for a quick break, and when we return, we're going to continue speaking with Dr. Robert Luckett about the 16th Annual Creative Arts and Scholarly Engagement Festival. If you want, you can be part of the conversation. The number to call is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Hey, stay tuned. There's more on the way. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large and cartoonist at Mississippi Today. If you're just tuning in, today's guest is Dr. Robert Luckett. He's professor of history at Jackson State University, and he's the director of Margaret Walker Center. And before we get back to Dr. Luckett, we have Rilani from Hattiesburg on the line who has a question for Dr. Luckett. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good morning. I am a veteran of civil rights, and we used to meet on the campus of Jackson State. And my question, and we are now meeting, uh, well, we haven't met because of the COVID but uh, recently, but was there competition between Tougaloo, where the Veterans of Civil Rights is housed now, and Jackson State, or do you know why the veterans of civil rights were asked to leave that state. Well, it's a state school, I understand, and Tougaloo is private. Good question. So, Thank you. Yeah, um, I was here when that move was made. I can tell you they weren't asked to leave by Jackson State or by the Margaret Walker Center, but they made the decision to go and to, to locate at Tougaloo. There's no rivalry there. I love Tougaloo, and I love um, the, the faculty and the history and the traditions there, we're all doing the same work, and they found a good home uh, on the campus at Tougaloo College and, and one that, you know, supports them. We were happy when the veterans were here and happy to support them during that time, uh, and I do hope that they'll be able to get back to hosting those conferences. Lord knows that we all hope that we can get past COVID to a point where we can start doing these kinds of things in person together again. Well, we are hoping to be able to have the Armstrong Branch Lecture, which is a uh, supposed to be a perpetual lecture at USM. Uh, I went to USM in 1965 uh, and le- had to leave the state because what I, what I just, it wasn't the school and nothing that happened at the school. It was my own personal life that uh, sure. when I had to leave the state. But uh, I would uh, love to have you come and be a speaker. I'd be more than happy to come down there uh, anytime. I'm easy to find at Jackson State. You can Google me, look me up, send me an email, give me a call at the Margaret Walker Center, and I, I, I would be more than happy to do that. And, of course, Hattiesburg has its own incredible civil rights history with Vernon Damer and Clyde Kennard. And, uh, in fact, we just honored Vernon Damer's son, Dennis Damer, with our uh, annual For My People Award just a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Well, uh, they are very good friends to me, and I wouldn't have been able to even stay the year I stayed at USM if it had not been for the Damer family who helped oh, wow. feed and three small children. Uh, I was married but my husband was ill, and there's, uh, I'm hoping we'll be able to keep the Armstrong branch because it is one of the things, uh, one of the programs that promotes knowledge to all students. It, when we went to USM in 1965, we, we never thought about uh, black sororities and fraternities. We just thought people, if the university was open, they'd come in and join everything. Well, no. needless to say, I had no mentoring. So um, I am so glad to hear you on the radio, and I'm going to have to come back up. I have, you know, we used to always make the Margaret Walker Center one of the places we'd go during the convention for the civil rights, veterans of civil rights. And I'm one of those old veterans who 
um, Bob Moses and Marion Wright Elderman got, uh, and, and many others who worked to get Head Start in Mississippi. Sure. And I, uh, I sent, uh, I had made a comment about sending my two of my children to Lady Bird Johnson to keep until we got Head Start or some kind of uh, care, you know, system for people who couldn't afford child care. And we ended up sending two busloads to Washington in January, and it was documented by a young lady who received her doctorate from USM, and all the people who received those children and, you know, with coats and boots and gloves because they had a, a storm in Washington, or it was very cold, and it wasn't cold here at the time in January. So thank you very much. Relani, I just uh, real quick, I interviewed Dr. Janine Heron a couple weeks ago for uh, Mississippi Today and talked to her a little bit about her time down here. Of course, her husband did all the great photographs and everything that the Mississippi Museum of Art now has. But she was a big part of the Head Start um, push to get that also. So I just thought that was interesting that you were in on it, too. So I think that's wonderful. And uh, you sound like somebody that we probably need to call and get you on to interview you. It sounds like you've got a great story to tell. Well, thank you very much, and this is a good show. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, I tell you what, that that was a great call. It really was. And, yep. of course, if you'd like to call, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. You know, we got the festival coming up. Um, Dr. Uh, Janice Neal Vincent had a festival there when you got there in a little bit, and you guys kind of joined forces to, instead of reinventing the wheel, you kind of created a super conference out of it, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. And like I said, we had come together and decided we wanted to try to do this. And the, really, the first thing we did was look around and say, well, is anyone already doing this at right. Jackson State? Uh, and Dr. Neil Vincent had been part of a, a group that was called the Daughters of Margaret that uh, interpreted Margaret Walker's work, really worked hard to uh, in song and in poetry and worked hard to lift up Margaret's legacy. So she was a natural person for us to turn to. And she was hosting this spoken word creative fest and conference. And she and I sat down uh, in 2009, my very first year, fall of 2009, to think about what we might be able uh, to do. And we, we wrote the very first grant <laughs> for to support what we called uh, the Creative Arts Festival. And, and that first grant now has us 16 years down the road um, with this annual Case Festival. And so, really, she deserves credit for having the, the original idea and welcoming, welcoming us with open arms uh, to come in and work with her and, and grow the conference and from spring 2010 to today. That's incredible. What, um, what, who did you get the grant from? The very first grant we ever had was from the Mississippi Humanities Council, but every year since then it's been the Mississippi Arts Commission uh, that has supported us annually with the Case Festival, and we're deeply grateful for, for the support of the Mississippi Arts Commission, incredible organization doing really wonderful work um, across our state. I mean, I know obviously the answer is because I put it on every year, but why do you feel that the Case Festival is important? Well, look, first and foremost, lifting up students and young people. Right. Um, you know, people often come to me, especially as a civil rights historian, with these kind of ideas about, well, why aren't young people today the way they were in the 60s? And I'm going, 
you don't know the young people I know, the, <laughs> the young people I get to interact with and, 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 and learn from personally at Jackson State and watch. We have incredible students um, all over this, this state, region, nation. And so to, to bring them in and give them a platform to lift them up and to support them and their work is incredibly important. And then to carry on that tradition of Margaret Walker and to be able to bring some of these incredible thinkers and scholars uh, to Jackson State. And I will say one of the things that makes me incredibly lucky in the role that I have is that people say yes because of Margaret Walker. Just They say yes. We invite them and they come. Um, and, you know, unless there's a conflict or something, people don't turn us down. And they do it because of their love um, for Margaret Walker and for her legacy. Well, tell us a little bit about this year's festival, because like I said, I mean, we live in the era of COVID. So that obviously has changed up and affected how you do things. How many participants are you expecting? How many students do you expect to be engaged? And what kind of audience do you expect to have? Well, of course, we had to shift uh, entirely each of the last two years uh, due to COVID. Um, the first year, we just postponed uh, the conference a year because everything got shut down in March, and we were getting ready to have a conference in April. So we went entirely virtual last year. And what's amazing is that we had the largest crowd we'd ever had. Wow. We had the, the most participants, the most people engaged. And that, you know, the thing about going virtual is it gives more people across the country and the world access to this work in ways that they might not be able to afford to come to Jackson, Mississippi for a two-day conference, right, uh, and participate in it. And so we generally, on average, see somewhere between 50 to 60 student presentations. And when we, when we were in-person only over the course of the two days of the conference, we normally saw 400 to 500 participants. We, we saw double that going virtual um, last year. And we expect um, this year will be no different. We are going to have a a hybrid option this year. So people will be able to participate virtually, and they also will be able to come if they want to be in person, socially distanced, masked, all those kinds of things, the COVID protocols that we have on campus at Jackson State. But we're going to try to offer both this year and, and see how that goes. It's amazing because I, I was thinking about so many different um, organizations that I speak to and so forth and that did go virtual, and then they discovered suddenly they got that national platform that they didn't expect. It's almost like that silver lining out of the big dark cloud that we've been under for the last couple of years on that. I mean, talk about who's who's eligible to participate on this i mean who is it just undergraduate and graduate students is there high school students possibly that can be involved who all can can be part of this we invite all students high school students undergraduate graduate students from any school any place we have to talk about the, the worldwide kind of global push you get going virtual i just had a university in uh, canada contact me asking me if they could participate yes they can participate that's great um and so uh, really, we do welcome anyone, any young person to submit a proposal to us uh, and come uh, be a part of, of this conference and, and have this opportunity. You know, these types of academic conferences are really important in kind of the, the intellectual development of, uh, and, and work of these types of fields like black studies. But they can be intimidating to, to engage, at least early on in your career. And that's also, I think, one of the things that we don't talk about enough with the Case Festival is that this is meant to be a welcoming place. This is meant to be a safe space for these young people to come out, present their ideas and their work, and get constructive, supportive feedback um, on the the things that they're doing in their own creative and intellectual um, ways. And so we do invite everybody to come and participate. Tell us a little bit about the proposal submissions. Uh, what 
if I'm say I'm a student and I'm listening right now, I'm sitting at home, I, I'm probably on virtual. What type of things should they put together to to make a presentation, or what, what are some of the ways that they can present? So the we have um, opportunities to present in in multiple fields. So you can submit. Uh, in the visual arts, you can submit proposals in uh, spoken word and poetry. Uh, you can submit in um, the uh, kind of scholarly field, like historical essays. Really, anything that, that you want to do that you're working on as a student, you can come and present at this conference. So we welcome, in a multi- we welcome proposals in a multiple uh, areas, and we uh, invite folks to submit their proposals with a a, a title. We do need to know the name of the institution, the school that you go to, um, and a a short 250-word proposal that tells us about what you're wanting to do. Now, if you want to have a panel, you got three or four students at your school and y'all want to come and be on one panel together, you can do that too. Just submit that to us uh, and let us know. Um, uh, Or you can just come individually. We'll we'll pair you um, with someone else um, for the presentation, the proposals are due by Saturday, March 12th. So the good news is you got time. If you want to get your proposals in, um, you just email them to us at the Margaret Walker Center, which is mwa at jsums.edu, mwa uh, at jsums.edu. Um, email them to us by Saturday, March 12th, and we'd be more than happy to have you uh, come and, and participate. Oh, very good. I tell you what, why don't we take a quick break right now? And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Robert Luckett. He's professor of history at Jackson State, and we're talking about the Case Festival. It's coming up as well. We'll talk about a few other things as well. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large and cartoonist at Mississippi Today. You can see my work at mississippitoday.org. If you're just joining us today, we've been talking with Dr. Robert Luckett. He's professor of history at Jackson State University and director of the Margaret Walker Center. Hey, it's not too late to jump in on the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. 877-MPB-RING. That is 877-672-7464. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about what you need to do to turn in your proposal, which I guess is intimidating. The biggest, probably most intimidating things, you have a deadline now. So you've got March 12th. You better get it done. Um, you got four categories that you can fit into. What are those four categories? You can submit proposals uh, to the Case Festival in uh, the the visual arts, um, you can submit them in the performing arts, such music, um, theater. You can submit them in um, the uh, field of a, a scholarly uh, field as well. So research papers. I'm a historian, so I make my students participate in it, right? Um, and um, so you have the visual arts, the performing arts, the the scholarly field. Um, and um, the the final field, I'm just my brain is not working entirely together um, right now. Um, the fourth field, um, you've got uh, visual arts, written, performing arts, and like you said, scholarly, 
scholar. Yeah. I cannot say that word today. I don't understand. It's Monday. But anyway. It's a, it's, it's a mouthful. That's why we go with just a case fest. Yeah, I know. I was going to thank you for that later on, maybe off the air. But yeah, no, <laughs> definitely does make life a little bit easier on that. Yeah, I could probably handle three pieces of artwork a lot easier than writing um, a, a, you know, a research paper. But that's just me. Yeah. Spoken word and poetry. That's it. It's spoken word and poetry. Ah, there you Visual go. arts, performing arts, and written Excellent. are the four fields that okay. you can submit in for the conference April 8th and 9th. See, I knew if I just said a bunch of just weird things that you would eventually come to it, and then you'd come to save the day. So you did. Very yeah, nice. Thanks. I appreciate that. Oh, no problem. I order host four. But we have a keynote speaker. Obviously, you have keynote speakers. And you've had some really incredible talent and famous people uh, come in throughout the years. Who's your who's your uh, keynote um Folks, this year, we're going to feature three incredible Mississippi musicians and former Jackson State students, uh, Cassandra Wilson, Rhonda Richmond, and Nellie Mack. Wow. Uh, G- Grammy Award winners. Yeah. Grammy nominated. Uh, Nellie Mack and Cassandra Wilson are both Mississippi Governor's Arts Award winners, uh, thanks to the uh, Mississippi Arts Commission. Uh, and so we're going to have a focus on music this year and really looking forward to the, the three of them. Um, coming together and and joining in conversation, they are just remarkable women. Oh, I can just imagine the, them feeding off each other. That's going to going to be a lot of fun. Is that something that kicks off the festival, or is that something that you close out with? With that's going to kick off the festival on Friday, April the eighth, and will be broadcast virtually. So there are going to be multiple ways for people to participate. Uh, they can watch all of the keynotes. Will be broadcast on our YouTube and Facebook pages for the Margaret Walker Center. Very easy to find. Facebook is just facebook.com slash Margaret Walker Center. Uh, and, and also YouTube, you can just Google Margaret Walker Center YouTube. You can find our YouTube page. So all of the, the keynote and plenary sessions will be um, broadcast there. And people will be able to sign up. If they can't come in person for the student presentations, they will be broadcast as well. They can get in on Zoom, um, and we can invite you uh, in to participate that way as well. Well, and the beautiful thing is that you can save these, and then, you know, people can come back and watch them later, right? That's exactly right, and we do keep all of our programming up. So um, if you're interested in our work, you can go back and check out some of the things we've been doing over the years, and especially since we've had to go virtual the last couple of years, all of our programming is available enough um, online. Was there any details about the Case Festival that I have not touched on? Because that's entirely possible. I mean, <laughs> yeah, We do hope that folks will get their proposals in by March 12th. The conference is Saturday, Friday and Saturday, April 8th and 9th. The student presentations are all going to be on Saturday, April the 9th. We do have awards, including the annual Margaret Walker That's Award. it right um, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one is an award that's just for JSU students. We had a donor give us money to establish a $1,000 prize for the best essay on the black experience in the American South by Jackson State student, um, which is our, our biggest award we give annually at the Case Festival. Uh, it's a $1,000. It's a check we give to a, a Jackson State student. Um, then there's also the Doris Derby Visual Arts and Social Justice Award. This is a $300 prize that goes to entries in the visual arts category, and it's open to anyone. And we're going to give three of these this year. Oh, wow. Um, and so anyone submitting in the visual arts category, that can be fine art. It can be photography. Uh, Dr. Derby herself, an incredible activist and photographer uh, who endowed this award for us. Uh, and so that will be part of the award ceremony at the end of the day on Saturday, April the 9th as well. Oh, wow. Sounds, sounds like it's going to be fun. And like I said, I'm just glad. Like you said, uh, you get a big crowd every year. It sounds like this year because it's going to be hybrid, you're going to be able to reach a lot of different folks that probably wouldn't normally get to see it. So it's going to be really a great time. 
Yeah, I'm excited about that. And I should say here, too, everything we do is free and open to the public. So join us. There's, you know, if you're interested in this, you want to see what it's like, just come and come and check it out and, and be a part of it. Well, let's uh, not to get too deep into the weeds on the political front. Obviously, there's a lot of conversations going on uh, about race in this country right now and how to talk to each other on a one on one level. Do you have any advice uh, for us as a country or just as people, as people that maybe you know, with coworkers or friends or how to be able to have these conversations and do it in a way that, um, you know, that you don't feel like you're talking past each other? Yeah, I get asked that a lot these days. I bet you um, do. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing that I would suggest to folks, um, one, listen. Less talking, more listening, right? L- listen to each other. And in that listening, be willing to, to one, be vulnerable, right? Um, because being vulnerable and not feeling offended necessarily by what you're hearing from another person who – um, we know there there are people who are ill-intentioned, but I don't think the vast majority of people are nefarious. I just don't. Even people I disagree with, I don't think are necessarily bad people. But we've got to be be willing to be vulnerable and to listen and to accept and to be empathetic. So I think empathy is maybe the, the most important thing, especially for me as a white man doing the work I do at an HBCU around civil rights. I've got to have empathy. Knowledge is something that is not race-based. We can all learn. We can all study, right? We, if we're given the opportunity to, to learn, um, anyone can do that. Being empathetic with what you're hearing and what you're listening to, I just think, is, is absolutely essential. And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to go into these conversations, listen, be vulnerable, and be empathetic, I, I think we can all grow and, and, and learn a lot from each other. Amen. Amen. Um, what's next for the Margaret Walker Center? Well, the biggest thing, of course, on on tap for us will be the Case Festival in April. In March, we do have some programming. We actually are getting ready. 2023 will be the 50th anniversary of the Phyllis Wheatley Poetry Festival, and we're going to have some programming come up, coming up in March as kind of a precursor for our 2023 50th anniversary uh, event. So that's going to be a big one in November of 2023. we got a, uh, stuff, of course, for Black History Month. For us, Black History Month is every month, so we're always doing kind of uh, work, but check us out on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, all the social media platforms. Uh, keep up with us. Check out the Margaret Walker Center website. And, you know, we'd love to have you come visit the center uh, and learn more about the work that we do. We want to thank you for listening and thank our special guest, Dr. Robert Luckett, professor of history at Jackson State University and director of the Margaret Walker Center. If you'd like to hear this show again or any past episodes, you can listen to our podcast on your favorite podcast app or downloading our MPB public media app. Now you're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio, produced by Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Josie Bidwell is coming up next. Join us next week at 10 a.m. for another great conversation here on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have a great week.